Welcome back to Hand on the Live Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Boggs, and this is episode 12. Been a crazy couple weeks, man, dealing with uh, sick kids, not sick kids, have to get tests, uh, COVID tests for the schools, have to um, get sent home because of contact tracing, still have to wait a week. Just, just craziness the last two weeks. I think we're getting close to being a little bit more normal right here. And then I lost my voice. I got choked out during a demonstration. Just put to sleep. Professor didn't feel my tap. Knocked out. Woke up. I was in a, a poppy field. I don't know why poppy field. Maybe because I'm from California and the California uh, poppy is the state flower. So voice was gone. It's coming back, but we're good. We're back rolling. Football is freaking back. We had uh, week one and then we started week two with this Thursday night game. I'll recap a little bit what I saw. I pretty much was able to watch every game. NFL Game Pass is still dicking us over on the uh, all 22, but I did watch the team or sideline view. And I saw a lot of good things. I saw a lot of good old line stuff. I'm just happy to see the crowd back. I don't mean to trigger you if you think we shouldn't have a crowd. I just think football is great with a crowd. I didn't have a crowd in college, really. 5,000 was the max at Humboldt State. F that place. But when I see a crowd of 60,000, I love it. It just brings a different type of energy. It's like the man in the arena, the real arena, like the gladiators. It's the same thing with the UFC. It's better with a crowd. Fight Island was great, but it was quiet as a church mouse. You like to hear that roar. You like to feel that energy. I think the fighters, the athletes, whatever, they feed off of it. Maybe they get a little nervous, whatever, but it just changes everything. So football's back. I love it. Uh, I would point – I got two things I want to point out with rookies. Slater, that man is a monster. For a rookie at left tackle to do what he did, I freaking love it. If you check him out, check the Chargers out. I'm pumped up about what I saw. And I have a, a – Penny Sewell helps me make a biased point is that it's not easy to move from left to right despite what freaking Twitter tells you. Yes, I know elite athletes should be able to move from one side to the other with no problem, and Twitter will suggest that. And they say if you're not good enough at tackle, you move into guard, and if you're not good, good enough at guard, you move into center, and it's just not that freaking simple. There's more context, and there's that inward I always talk about. There's nuance. Penny Sewell looked a little sketchy, a little iffy at the right side. He was trying to figure out what made him great on the left side. Just figuring things out because it's not freaking easy to move from one side to the next. But he goes to left tackle and he's lights out. Everyone might point out one or two bad plays versus freaking Bosa. How many highlight films has that guy showed up on? Or uh, how many people have showed up on his highlight film, film rather? And he looked really good. He looked like the special player we saw. So I appreciate Penny Sewell playing, balling out like that. Um, and, and my boy is the starting left tackle there, you know, so uh, I'd have a co I had two conflict of interest, you know what I mean? I want my boy to, you know, go back to left tackle, but Penne helped me prove a point, drive a point home. It's something I felt uh, moving either from guard to uh, center to guard or, you know, after I spent a year at guard, moving back to center was weird. And uh, right side felt better than the left side, you know what I mean? And Penne kind of proved that. I don't give a damn what Twitter says. Read him and weep. Just take a look at that. He balled out. That was awesome. Um, so I haven't been on here in a while, so I kind of want to point out um, Alex Kappa, my main man. I appreciate you. If you noticed before the game, primetime game versus the Cowboys, awesome game. Wish Zach Martin was there. Then we could have saw two great right guards in one game. But uh, he pointed out the Lumberjack Iron. That's the team he played for. It's the shirt I'm rocking, Lumberjack Iron. For those that don't know, maybe you haven't followed my podcast, Humble State Drop Football, and uh, – we may despise that institution, but Lumberjack Iron is sacred to us. That was uh, led and groomed and uh, built by my main man, Drew Peterson, the greatest strength coach I've ever come across. So uh, shout out to Kappa for telling the truth for where people get, you know, where I talk about that gift of mental resilience comes from. It came from Drew. It came from Drew, the culture he built, the culture where it's okay to fail, the culture where we're able to grow, the culture where we're able to grow together. None of that bullshit performative strength coach stuff you might see. Just work and, um, in, a, in a way that's digestible where people can understand what they're doing and grow from there. You leave that place, you always know how to train. You know, you, you'll have a good sense of how to train, how to train others because he educates you while you grow. So shout out to Kappa, and he balled out. On top of that, so he didn't. He did lumberjack iron proud, because not only did he go in and say that um, Alex Kappa lumberjack iron, he didn't say Humboldt State or anything or his high school. He said lumberjack iron. He was lights out that game. So shout out to Kappa. Um, what else did we see? Um, last night, man, 
I'll get into something on that one. So last night, this is technically a week two game, and I've been away from the podcast just because of uh, extenuating circumstances. And I had a goal of doing a podcast a week, and technically last week I got my podcast in because I did uh, my favorite football podcast, which is the No Name Podcast by J-Mac and Olin Krutz. Um, if you're, it's, it's, a, it's a Chicago Bears podcast, but anyone that loves football and loves, loves O-line play or football in general – you could benefit from listening to that podcast. Those guys just freaking make sense. They got a lot of wisdom. They got a lot of knowledge. They got a lot of skin in the game. And, you know, they keep the football the way it should. J-Mac coaches at a high school in that area. Um, Olin trains a bunch of high school kids and pro kids and NFL guys. So um, awesome podcast. Well, anyways, so last night, uh, Washington football team, I've been obsessed with watching their uh, defensive line, specifically Jonathan Allen. Because he's a monster. He wears a crossbar face mask, just old school. And he really, guys struggle with him. He has a move that he's kind of, I believe he's kind of adapted, you know, a traditional club move that, you know, you see a lot of guys do. Justin Smith comes to mind. And pretty much any Polynesian defensive lineman you've ever seen uses a club. Uh, but he's, he's kind of adapted it to his skill set, and he just buries O linemen. And last night was no different. So I always want to see the Washington football team, regardless of how stupid their name is, I always want to see them play because I just want to see how O-linemen are adapting to the way he, play, the way he plays the, uh, the pass, you know what I mean, his pass rush move. Because it's not, like, it's not like anything you've really seen before. You know, he's really made tweaks to it that makes it different. I remember a guy I worked with, he, was, he, he coached D-line forever, he kept saying what Jonathan Allen does, is he's not doing it right. He's not doing it right. And I'm like, that's just you being close-minded because uh, all I see is him burying guards into the quarterback. So obviously he's doing it right. So I'll explain it briefly. This sucks because it's uh, I don't have video to show, but you can watch Jonathan Allen every week. What he's doing is he cross-chops someone. So he's lined up over the left guard. He cross-chops them with their right hand, with his right hand, and then he throws an underhook. And what he's throwing an underhook is basically his arm is coming underneath the lineman's left arm. So it's more like a wrestling move than it is your traditional football cross-chop club, right? And from there, he's got his underhook, and he's like chest-to-chest with the offensive lineman, and he just buries them into the quarterback's lap, right? And his stats may not reflect something crazy. He did have two sacks last night, but I can tell you linemen don't like playing with him. Because he's a monster, and nobody likes getting driven into the quarterback's lap time after time, regardless what the stats say. So, I mean, to Skip Bayless or something, however the hell you say his name, he might say, oh, he's not that good. Because he also said Aaron Donald's not that good because the stats don't reflect it, even though it's just chaos and havoc everywhere. But I'm telling you, linemen worry about that guy. So, anyways, um, the traditional way of doing it is they do that same cross shop and they club the lineman by, Right? And what he's doing is unique because he's not trying to club them by to, to, you know, create an angle to cut space. He's literally just getting an underhook and driving them into the quarterback. Um, so last night we saw something ugly happen with Nick Gates, who, who I've slowly become a fan of. I think like in 19 he, he played he, – He's I think he's undrafted. I don't know the guy's life story, but I'm pretty sure he's undrafted. I'm sorry if you hear some feedback. You'll notice I'm not in my regular studio. We, uh, so – you might hear some kids and stuff, but I had to get this out the week. I didn't want to go two weeks without getting the damn podcast. So anyways, so I think he's undrafted, and he played pretty good at guard, and then they moved him into the starting center, gave him a little money, and then uh, last year, and if I was to be honest, and I don't bash old linemen uh, because we're talking about world-class athletes, but he didn't start out good, right? He wasn't – It was. it's a tough transition. He's learning center. He didn't start out good, but you could watch – Week one, week two, every week he got a little bit better until he became a solid offensive lineman. So with um, he played center all last year, started every game. This year started week one at center. And for whatever reason this year, you know, they, they put Shane Lemieux, really good player, young player. Um, they put him on IR. They, they uh, traded for Billy Price and, um, uh, from Cincinnati, first-round pick out of Ohio State. And they decided to move Nick Gates over to left guard. And I think that's rough, you know what I mean, because uh, they're two different positions, you know what I mean. Guard, center's normally a little more comfortable going to the right guard. You think about it, they always have their right hand down because they have uh, 
you know, they're snapping the ball normally right-handed. So he goes to the left guard, and he goes against the absolute monster. He gets caught in that freaking cross-shop underhook and breaks his ankle, and it was bad. It looked like a UFC break. Both bones, thing was dangling, but that monster got driven off, carted off, and he smiled, and only an O-lineman would pull some shit off like that, or Conor McGregor, and uh, he's a little nuts too. So shout-out to Nick Gates, man. I wish you a speedy recovery. I think that was a tough situation to be in. Um, it's not, so what, I'll say this, so what Jonathan Allen does, not a lot of people have a, a lot of reps at, and especially if you go from center to guard, your perception's off, the spacing's off, what you've been, uh, you, what you're used to facing, it, it's just different. It's, to go in after being center for an entire year, all training camp, week one, and then moved on a short week, which I don't know what the Giants do, maybe they go full pads every day on a Thursday practice, you hear some weird stories coming out of there. Um, or full pads every day for a Thursday night game. But basically, I think that was just that was a shitty situation to be in. Um, so I, I want to give my two cents on uh, Jonathan Allen's pass rush, right? So where people go wrong is they set him inside out. And this is, goes for any club, any club move guy, right? Justin Smith, I'll give you a little backstory. So Justin Smith and Jonathan Allen – and the Redskins, Washington football team, don't cancel my Redskins, I apologize. I'm down with the natives. My roommate in college is native. Shout out to Hoopa. Anyways, so um, they had the same D-line coach. So they, they're kind of the same player. I think Justin Smith is just a lot more intimidating, scary. I think I would put Justin Smith up there with Aaron Donald. I, could, I think I could make a good argument for that. We could pull up the film to show that. But um, anyways, so he uh, – he, when you're facing these guys that do this cross-shot club, they want you to underset them, right? Because when you underset them, they're going to, not only are they clubbing you by, they're pulling themselves through, right? So if you underset when they, uh, I'm sorry, I think I may have mixed it up earlier. What he does, he cross-chops, my bad, Jonathan Allen or anyone clubbing that over the left guard, they cross-chop with their left arm and club or underhook with their left arm. So their left arm is coming underneath the, the offensive lineman's right um, shoulder or right arm or clubbing their right shoulder. So what happens is they're clubbing you. They're not just throwing you out of the club, right? That might be what you see happening, but what they're doing is they're clubbing and pulling themselves through. So if Justin Smith, he would cross shot with his left arm and then club the O-lineman's right shoulder, the left guard. So he's clubbing his inside shoulder. He's hitting him by while pulling himself through through that A-gap, right? So that's why if you underset or you set knee to crotch or you set half man, you're actually giving them that. So when you face guys that are good at the club or Jonathan Allen, you don't want to set half man. You don't want to set knee to crotch. You got to cover them up. I know it's counterintuitive, but that's why, especially with the pro level, I don't like saying these rules like, oh, you have to set knee to crotch. You have to set uh, uh, whatever whatever they have, uh, need a titty. I don't care. I don't like saying that because the, it, it depends on the individual you're going against. They're going to give you – their film will show you what's the most conducive to success, and that can change play to play. It comes down to adapting. It, it, it comes down to uh, the uh, uh, your decision-making and stuff like that. So with these club guys, with these underhook guys like Jonathan Allen, you got to cover them up. So think about it. You cover them up. They can chop their hand all you all they want. But they're not getting, they don't have good leverage to club you by because they don't have good leverage to pull themselves through. And that's the big difference. So when you're going to face these clubbers and these uh, Jonathan Allen type players or Justin Smith type players, you got to cover them up. It's counterintuitive, I know. Maybe it's slightly inside out, maybe not quite dick to dick, maybe it's nut to nut. You can figure that out. But you don't want to be knee to crotch because they're giving the leverage they're looking for. And the interesting thing about Jonathan Allen is I think – I'm wondering if coaches are going to start showing this film to the officiating crew because it's technically – it's almost like a tackle. It's like a hold because he's coming in with this underhook and he's basically chest to chest and he's tackling you essentially through the quarterback. And there's been – I'm pretty sure like three knee ankle breaks associated with it. We had Nick Gates last night. And one of them was Alex Kappa. Um, because he kind of got thrown, and the guy got thrown into Kappa. So we see. Uh, I'm curious to see if it, if it if they 
have something to say about that play. Maybe they get rid of it. Maybe they outlaw it. I don't know. But anyways, um, yeah, so that'd be my – that's what I want to say about last night. My bad. But cover these guys up if you got these club guys. And, and, and I want to say this. I didn't come up with that. I was making reports for guys last year at my old job, and um, one of the guys we played was get, having trouble with that club. He actually was fighting his ass off. He suplexed Allen. But I think it was a hold, too. But anyways, um, I talked to Larry Warford. And Larry Warford said, yeah, he struggled with the same thing in 17. So in 18, he decided to cover them up. He decided to keep a tight inside hand. He decided to throw his inside hand really tight, keeping his elbow tight, grabbing their, their inside shoulder. And then he'd just take them where they want to go. So they would swipe. They'd swipe at his outside hand maybe. There was no hand there to swipe back because he'd pull it back. He'd shoot his inside hand. But he was covering them up and just taking them where they want to go. And it looked very smooth. He would get to his spot still. It just wasn't neat a crotch. It was the same principles of playing. You know what I mean? He was getting to a spot versus Allen or versus the Washington football team because then they were really trying to emulate how Allen does this move. And uh, so he covered him up, grabbed that inside shoulder. They had nothing to swipe. They had no leverage to club or underhook. And then he would just take them inside where they wanted to go effortlessly. And it was like clockwork. He had like 10 one-on-ones that game with no slide, and he shut them all down. Um, and I think other teams are starting to do this because I saw Vita Vea that same last Thursday, week one Thursday night game versus uh, Cowboys. He was doing it, cross-chopping, underhooking. And that mother sucker's like 370, so good luck. He got the center. And there's these dorks out there. They're just clowns. I don't want to say that. You know what? I don't know what their intent is. I think they got good intent. Well, F that. A clown has good intent, right? They're trying to make you laugh. Whatever. Uh, their name's Go, the greatest of all time athletes. No big deal. I don't got no beef with nobody, you know, but I'm, they were blaming uh, the center giving up a sack to Vita Vea, 370 pounds, because he didn't have his toes turned in. And they weren't, they're not giving context to the tactical part. They could talk movement all they want, but there's this, there's this tactical matchups that involves decision-making, where it involves like, hey, they're giving me this shoulder, they're giving me this chest, they're swiping my hand. There's a lot more going on than just movement. It's not track. That's the one part. Maybe the, move, the beginning part of uh, O-line is like track, but the, the contact phase and everything else in between or everything else – you know, leading up to that, is, it's a lot more like uh, like um, a martial arts type sports, you know, combat sports. So they're saying if the center had his knees turned in, they Vita wouldn't freaking uh, bull rush him into the quarterback. Meanwhile, he got his the center for the Cowboys played really well. He got a snap hand, trapped, chopped, and then he caught that underhook. And at the end of the day, 370, he's put, he caught you. And they'd be like, oh, well, you're not giving an answer. There's answers. But it's not the toes turned in. I don't care if that center's toes were turned into his asshole. He wasn't stopping that guy that way. Sorry about the mic. So it was just way more context needed than that. So more guys are going to pick up this move, and I'm wondering if uh, I'm wondering if it gets if if the it gets presented to the officiating group. We'll see. Give it a year or two. You know what I mean? There's been injuries. Does it look like a hold? Does it look like a tackle? Um, I don't think O-linemen have adjusted really well to it, to that move. You know what I mean? Because you see it week in and week out. They get caught. They don't have a plan or they're not adapting or they get caught multiple times in a game. So I'm just curious how it goes. Allen is a monster. If they did outlaw it, I'm sure he would have a good club like Justin Smith, you know, a more traditional club move. But uh, anyways, so, yeah, there's, there's my little uh, rant on football. I think I would have had more to talk about last week, but we're moving on to week two. You know what I mean? We already had this Thursday night game. Uh, I'll be next week. I'll get my first one in on Monday. You know, I get back on track with the hand on the line podcast. So there's my rant on Jonathan Allen. I'm going to just go to some questions. I actually had a ton of questions related to the cold tub, the sauna, the breath work which I'm not surprised about. I think it's pretty trendy right now on social media, Twitter. There's a bunch of guys doing it. There's all kinds of ice baths and ice plunges and stuff like that. So people are coming around to it. I don't know if you can hear that. If you hear my kids, I apologize. 
next week we'll be back to normal. I'll be back in the studio. Uh, right now we're at the Cheeks Mansion, just outside of Shabooms. It is what it is. So first question I had was about ice tubs. Um, kid was asked, said he takes an ice bath after practice. He's concerned based on how I explained it in the previous podcast if it was bad. I don't believe it's bad. Um, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, I don't want to get into the science. I will share, I'll, I'll share a study. But Dr. Rhonda Patrick, it said that when you work out, when you, and we know this, most strength coaches know this, when you work out, when you practice, there's an inflammatory response. It's a bunch of cytokines in the blood. And that response is kind of the precursor to adaptation. So you want that inf- inflammation response. I know inflammation can be bad. It can be good. It's tricky. I'm not going to go too deep into the science. So that inflammation peaks at about 45 minutes. So if you get in the ice bath immediately after a workout, it will stop it. So it, you would kind of be stopping adaptation. You know what I mean? Whether it's strength or hypertrophy in the weight room, you'd be stopping it. So the idea, and there's not a study to prove this part, but the idea is just to wait about 45 minutes after the weight room, after practice, before you get into that um, ice bath. So no, I don't think ice baths are bad. And here's the other thing. Like, well, it's debatable too. There's a lot of science that says ice baths stop recovery because, like I said, the lymphatic system, lymphatics was pumping. It's what pumps, you know, uh, your nutrients and pumps out kind of the bad stuff. A great way of putting it, lymphatic system is like, hey, you work out, your legs are feeling a little mushy. The lymphatic system is going to pump in the new nutrients and pump out the garbage, so groceries in, garbage out. I think that was Kelly Starr or the book I said it. But here's the thing, and this kind of doesn't show up in the study. Like, they could do blood work and stuff like that in studies regarding ice. Is you got to be honest with yourself. And I think this is the key is to teach people to listen to their own body. Don't give these blanket statements. So you teach people to listen to their body. They become more self-aware, and they start finding ways that work for them. So you're your own coach, you're your own teacher, you know what I mean? This is important. You're your own uh, therapist, you're your own counselor. So if you ice bath makes you feel good, keep doing it. It's simple, right? Because I feel good. The science says otherwise. Well, the science doesn't necessarily speak to the nuance of how you feel. Go without the ice bath and I don't feel as good. Okay, well, the ice bath's for you. Uh, hold on. I'm sorry about that. Kids are wild. I, as soon as everyone gets healthy again, I got them loaded up on zinc and vitamin D and vitamin C. Don't cancel me. It ain't ivermectin. Shut your ass up. Uh, as soon as they get all better, I'll be back at the studio. I got daddy duties too. I apologize. It's not professional. I don't have a collar shirt with a logo on it. It's all good. So, But that's the point is you want guys to be able to know what's best for them. So you and you be honest, like, hey, the ice bath makes me feel great. It doesn't. Just listen to your body. You know what I mean? The studies are good. Like, I use, I like to have the science to kind of back up what I'm doing, right? Because I feel good. I use the sauna. I use the cold tub. And there's a lot of good science to suggest it. But I also go off what I feel, right? I listen to my body. I'm aware. I didn't need a, a mindfulness app to do that, although I do like mindfulness apps. And, um, it, like, I, I talked about it with the diet. I did that keto diet, and because the person, my mentor or my my trainer at the time, you know, he was like, this is it. This will make you a good athlete. Carbs are ruined. He would say, carbs have ruined more careers than, uh, I don't know, what name a phrase, baby mamas. I don't know. He said, But he would say, carbs ruin careers. And um, so I, would, I went keto, and I felt like shit. But I just kept lying. They're like, oh, I felt good because my trainer said I was supposed to feel good. And that's, that's crazy. Because you're not teaching someone to be aware. You're not t- teaching them to be aware of their body. So they're saying, hey, by this science, all bodies are the same. Everyone is the same. That's not true. We know that's horse shit. Everyone's a little different. There's so much nuance involved in individuals. So my trainer was like saying, hey, it has to feel good. And I would say that until I got blood work and my cholesterol's through the roof. And my doctor's like, hey, did, I re- did you really need blood work to know you feel like crap? And he used that. I, I said it before. He said, hey, coyotes... Every species besides humans figure it out. We need someone to tell us. We don't listen to our body. He's like, my coyotes ate out of the trash can in his house, and they figure it out. They manage it, right? So listen to your body. I remember, like, uh, my trainer was very rigid, very rigid way of thinking. Like, it was 
oh, you eat keto, you take creatine, you do this, and if you question it, you just weren't ready, man. You were a slapdick. You weren't coachable. But you could question. If you question him, you're gone. But if you question, so you weren't coachable. But he didn't. So, but the same thing, he didn't recognize the unawareness was that if this person went along with their coach, they weren't coachable either, because they weren't. Because he he wasn't. They weren't uh, listening to him. It's a crazy way of thinking. So to me, it's not sustainable to just be so rigid in anything because. If this guy goes off to his coach, doesn't listen, he's uncoachable to that coach, but I'm, he's coachable to me. You see how confusing this could be? It doesn't even make sense. So I don't like to say these things in absolutes. I like to say things as, hey, maybe I can point it this way. There's research to suggest this. Try it. Do you feel good? Do you feel better? Do you feel the same? Do you feel worse? And now you're teaching guys a lesson that extends far past your rigid beliefs. Because they're going to be ready for the world. Because they're listening to their body. It's key. It's key. After all, like, the science doesn't always say it. Like, uh, um, I, I just saw a study. Dr. Rhonda Patrick, again, it was something about um, increasing muscle mass with the sauna and mineral density in your bones. People did, there was a bunch of males. They did uh, three days a week total of 50 minutes a day for those three days. They did 10-minute sessions, 10 minutes on, five minutes break, until they accumulated 50, 50 minutes in a sauna at 212 degrees. And over the course of six weeks, they had more muscle mass as a result of the belief was, I think it was human growth hormone. Testosterone was actually increased. And I don't remember the reason because I'm not smart enough to tell you why the mineral density increased in the bones. But... In previous studies, I said it just—it had to be 188. You know what I mean? So it, the point is, listen to your body. I'm trying that out. I'm all week. I've been going up three days in a row right now at 50 degree or 50 minutes total, five, 10 minutes on, five minutes off. I'll see how I feel. Right now, I don't feel any different from my regular sauna usage. Um, and I'll listen to my body. Maybe it doesn't align with the research. Maybe I feel like dick. That's all that matters. So I, I you know what I mean? The research says this. They got more, maybe the, more uh, mineral density, whatever that means, it wasn't worth it to me because I feel like shit. Right now I feel fine. So listen to your body. That was literally my bad for rambling, but that's how I feel about the ice bath. It can work. if That would be my suggestion. Wait 45 minutes, right, because that's what the science says. And if you, you don't need to get away from it if you think it's beneficial to you. That's how I'd wrap that up. The next question I had was the breath work. And this is a little more complex, and it's, it's – a similar thing. It's similar in that um, it's what works for you. You know what I mean? You scrap it or stay with it. Give it a chance. Give it a couple weeks if you start getting a protocol because you can't just do one day and be like, oh, it didn't work for me. But give it a couple weeks. Listen to your body. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I start my day off, and then I'll tell you the resources that I use. Okay? So for starters, uh, Brian McKenzie uh, is a great resource. He's on Twitter. I think it's I am unscared on Instagram. I mean, he's got a great um, seminar and, and a bunch of stuff on his website. The Art of Breath. Give him a give him a look. Uh, some other books you can read are uh, Breathe or Breath by James Nestor. Really good book, and it's actually entertaining. He's a journalist, and um, he wrote a book about the science of breathing, but in a really digestible, entertaining way. Uh, again, Hicks and Gracie was a good one for the breath work. Uh, there's the Oxygen Advantage by Patrick McCowan, I think it's – yeah, another good one on the science side. Um, I, don't, I can't remember Patrick's background, but you can look these guys up. So Art of Breath, um, Breath by James Nestor is a book, uh, Oxygen Advantage by Patrick McCowan, Breathe by Hicks and Gracie. And I don't know if it's breath or breathe for any of the titles that I just said. But, uh, yeah, check those out. So that will give you, like, more understanding of the science. So I've been on this breath kick for, like, five years. I think that's when I first – I went to the seminar in 2000. No, I did the Wim Hof. Wim Hof, I, my bad, that's an OG. You don't take them out. Check out Wim Hof. But I, I did the Wim Hof in 015 and in 016. I started, uh, I went to the Art of Breath seminar. So I'll just, 
lightly throw out things that I use. And I'm very honest with myself now because I've lied to myself in the past. For instance, the keto diet. So I'm very honest. I see the breath work is something important for my life. I've tried meditation and stuff like that. I think it has a lot of merit, but to be honest, the breath work, I see better results. And there's only so much time in a day. I got kids. I got school. I got to go work out. I got to go to martial arts. I got to get in the cold tub. I got to get in the sauna. I, I mean, I, I got to just be honest. Like, if I try to throw everything in, and I have to, there's a curveball or something like that, I need to be able to adapt. You got to have some free time in there. So I, I'm honest. Like, hey, the meditation is not great for me. I used to do it every day because that's what they said to do. I don't really do it. I, I like the breath work better. I like the cold tub. I like the sauna. I feel like the uh, cofactors, the side effects of those are all positive, right? I mean, I'm sure you can make them bad for you. You could die in a sauna. You could die in a cold tub. If you're a meathead, and I, and I am, but, you know what I mean, I'm, I'm safe. I always carry, I always have a spotter. I always give my wife a heads up. Going in the cold tub, babe. Going in the sauna. I'm not back in an hour from check on me, right? I'm safe about it. Always keep a spotter. So here's how I start my day is I start with hypoxic training, which I think anyone could benefit from this. And football players too. It has it has great effects on your aerobic capacity. I know aerobics can be a four-letter word in football because we're always anaerobic. But if you look at the sheer volume of a game, there's a huge aerobic component. Buddy Morris even says football is alactic aerobic, not alactic anaerobic. Alactic aerobic by definition when you just watch the game. So this can improve your game. It's improved my, it's really good for my martial arts. It's really good for my resting heart rate. It's really good for how I feel. I grew up with cleft lip and palate, or born with cleft lip and palate. I never developed the capacity to breathe through my nose until I was like 29 and went to this freaking seminar. I've literally been a mouth breather my whole life. That has a whole ton of implications. Um, puts you in a sympathetic nervous state, a more aroused ner- uh, uh, state of your nervous system. Breathing through your mouth has implications on your testosterone. I know we all love testosterone, right? It's the big, you know, your sex hormones and stuff like that. Breathing through your nose actually improves both of those things. So this is how I start my day. It's a hypoxic training. I take, I set my timer for five minutes. And I, this is, this would be like the first thing I do. Um, Normally I go just jump in the cold tub. And then this would be like the next thing I do. Brush my teeth, cold tub, and I get this in. Regardless, the cold tub is not 100% every day. It's most of the time. This happens every day in the morning. I set my timer for five minutes. I take three to five nasal breaths. On the fifth breath, I exhale completely. I plug my nose, and I just start walking. So I'm walking on an exhale. Timer's going. Once I feel the need to breathe, I inhale through my nose. I stop walking. I do five more breaths. Exhale completely plug my nose, and start walking again. So some of the things that happen here is there's a nitric oxide release. You get more CO2 tolerant. Your oxygen gets to where it's they always say oxygenating your body. It's very complicated. CO2 is actually more important in this process than the oxygen, and nitric oxide plays a huge role. That nitric oxide is apparently what made me be able to breathe. It opened up my nasal cavity. And I even have pictures over the last five years of my Face structure slightly changed just from breathing nasally. So this is something that allows me to, even when I plugged up, if I'm plugged up, I'll do this multiple times in a day because it'll open it up briefly. Just that nitric oxide release, if I'm if I can remember correctly. But anyways, I start my day like that. And um it, it long term it's had huge impact, right? Just being able to breathe nasally because of that. I um, I recover really fast in between rounds and stuff of martial arts or even when I'm doing football with my friends because I do go play football with my friends still just because I'm not on a team. I'll put the pads on in the summer. I will do one-on-ones. I'll run plays with my friends. I recover very fast. My resting heart rate is very low, and so it's had profound effects. So it's a hypoxic training. There's a bunch of ways to do it. Sometimes I even include it in my training. I learned it at the Art of Breast Seminars where I'll do that same thing let out, exhale everything, and I'll pick up like some kettlebells and do farmer carries. And I'll do this either as a finisher to a workout or a warm-up, right? 
I love doing it. I've noticed huge, just lasting changes with it. So it's important to me. So it's one of those things I keep. So the hypoxic work to start my day, every day. It's not going anywhere. Sometimes even like I walk my son to school, and when I come home, I'll just do that the whole way. It takes me 10 minutes, so I'll do it for longer. And I don't time myself. Just And since we're like instant satisfaction, because we like to see numbers and maxes change, when I first started doing it, on the exhale, plug my nose, I could walk for eight to nine seconds on the exhale. Now I can walk for like 30 seconds on the exhale. Does that make me block someone better? No, but I recover faster, right? Does it make me better at fighting black belts or Muay Thai fighters? No, but it makes me less tired, if that makes sense. I will recover better in between rounds. It doesn't make you block Aaron Donald, but maybe you, in between blocks you'll feel more refreshed, which is important. So I start my day like that. Next thing I do is same thing, and if you, if you get more into the research, which I urge you to, um, understanding the importance of CO2 and this whole thing, um, I do a breath protocol. It's called cadence work. It's to make me more ready or more uh, CO2 tolerant, right? We'll, so literally, if you go on the theartofbreath.com, uh, I, I think that's the website, but if you check out Brian McKenzie stuff, they have a CO2 tolerance test. It's something like take a regular breath, exhale, and um, see how long you can hold that without getting uncomfortable the minute you feel the need to breathe. The, the minute you feel the need to breathe, you just take a breath, and if it lasts 20 seconds, there's like levels to it. 20 seconds, you're not tolerant. One minute, you are tolerant. Anyways, when I first did this, I could go like eight seconds, which is like the worst they'd ever seen. Now when I do the CO2 tolerance test, I can go for like a minute. On an exhale, sit here calmly, and I'm fine. You know what I mean? And then when I feel the need to breathe without freaking out and, and flailing, I take a breath. It normally lasts about a minute. So this cadence work is predicated on your CO2 tolerance. So when I started this out, my, my cadence was four-second inhale. All, this is, everything is nasally, so we'll just put that on there. All the breath work I'm going to tell you about right now is nasally. So I would do a four-second inhale, eight-second exhale. Now I think I do an eight-second inhale. I know I do an eight-second inhale, 16-second exhale. I do 10 rounds of that. So after I finish my, my hypoxic training, I do that cadence work. Right now it's eight-second inhale, 16-second exhale, 10 rounds. It's not a big part of my day. I'm talking about like nine minutes of my morning dedicated to breath work. But the big thing after that is that I focus on breathing through my nose the rest of the day. So I don't want to be a mouth breather, right? <sighs> mouth breathing is not sexy. No one's ever been like, oh, that guy looks so good breathing with his mouth open. When you see, You're impressed when you see like a fighter. He finishes a round and he's standing up. He didn't, just so, chose not to sit down and he's breathing through his nose. You're like, oh, that's impressive. Or if, you, if you're doing 300-yard uh, shuttles, right, because those make great football players, I'm lying. Um, you're doing 300-yard shuttles, and you look over, and the guy's breathing through his nose. It's like, well, that's impressive, right? So that, that's a bigger part. So if you could just take one thing from the breath work, close your mouth. Just close your mouth and breathe through your nose for the rest of the day. You don't want to do this cadence stuff. You don't want to do this hypoxic stuff. Perfectly fine. I get it. You know what I mean? Everyone's busy. But I'd say throughout the day, close your mouth. And then you could start toying with it from there. Like during a warm-up for your workout, try to do it with your mouth closed. Try to breathe nasally. Tape your mouth shut for the workout. I tape my mouth shut a lot for warm-ups. When I'm at home, not in public, I don't have the balls to do it. Uh, I just, you know, I'm okay with looking ridiculous. A lot of things I do are ridiculous, but that one I'm not quite ready for. But when I do sleep, I tape my mouth. My wife hasn't left me yet. And I did... I did grow up the nerve to do it on a plane one time when I flew across the country. I closed, taped my mouth, and I was like, screw it. They won't see me, but I had a mask on, mouth tape. You know what I mean? So they don't see it. So I'm not, maybe it's not the nerve and balls, but that's what I did. And then um, I get some of the breath work in, in in the cold tub when I do it. I get the breath work in in the sauna. And then in the evening, I do another similar ones to that morning, the 8-second in, 16-second out. It just... I think it calms me down right before bed, and that's it. So, like, if I'm saying, like, literally sitting there dedicating something to breath, we're talking 12 minutes out of my day. But then I focus on it throughout the day. 
and I also, when I'm doing exposures in the cold tub and um, in the uh, sauna, that's, I'm pointing right there because behind this window is my barrel sauna. So I get breath work then, and then if I work out, I'm warming up, I'll do it. Or like if I'm in jiu-jitsu, I'll catch myself all the time. I'll just always try to close my mouth. And if I'm getting really tired, I'll start exhaling through my nose, slow down. I try to recover faster that way. One thing I learned at the Art of Breath that I think is useful uh, is for any athlete or your training or your game is to speed up recovery and kind of down-regulate. Maybe it's from a series, in between series and practice or the game, is they taught this breath protocol, and I do this one often. Like yesterday, we had like crazy rounds, uh, samurai rounds in jiu-jitsu. And we got like two minute breaks, so I have the two minute break, I want to recover fast. You know what I mean? Everyone's way smaller than me, but I want to be recovered. You know what I mean? So one thing they did is they would do you start off with seven breaths. Mouth, mouth. So and then that in those seven breaths I actually blow out pretty decent on quickly blow out. I'll do seven breaths, mouth, mouth. Next one is after those seven breaths, I go five breaths, nose mouth. So I get five, and then after that, I go three breaths, nose, nose. And after that, I try to get this cadence. And normally, I'm able to get it. I inhale, and this is through the nose now. Inhale through my nose and exhale through my nose. And exhale, I do a seven-second exhale. And if I could get three of those, normally, I'm fully recovered. And uh, without getting into the science of it, oh, shoot, sorry. Hit this mic. We need to get back at the studio. It's technically my wife's studio. Anyways, um, when I get when I'm able to finish those three seven second cadenced breaths after being dead tired, I'm normally fully recovered. So, and if I'm not, if I'm not recovered because I'm just dead, I'll just repeat that same thing: seven mouth mouth, uh, five nose mouth, three nose nose, and then three uh, seven second exhales. By the second time, normally I'm recovered. So I'll tell you a story and. Like I said, we like in, instant satisfaction. Is that when uh, I was at with the Chicago Bears the second time, the strength coach said that if you can get your heart rate down, we used to wear the heart rate monitors and stuff like that. If you can get your heart rate down 50 beats in two minutes, that was like elite, elite recovery. So back then, I remember I got my heart rate down. Uh, this is at the beginning of my breath journey. I was still Wim Hofish. So I got my heartbeat down 57 beats in two minutes exactly. And he said, that's really good. That's elite. There was like one guy on the team that beat me, right? At that time, I think I was just really good at suffering. I had such a high capacity of working, of working out, you know what I mean? Since my grandpa taking me to the gym at 520 every morning since I was uh, seventh grade, um, just, you know, Two decades of working out, working out a lumberjack iron with the great Drew Peterson. I had just such a good work capacity from years that I naturally recovered. So 57 beats in two minutes. Now, I can get my heart rate to 160. And I'm not bragging. This is literally something I focused on. I still have this great work capacity from years of putting in work. But now I have, understand these breath protocols. I have better CO2 tolerance. I'll do that same Seven, five, three, and then set three seven-second exhales. After my heart rate's like 160, and I'll drop down into the 80s, low 80s, and even 70s sometimes in two minutes. I can drop down 50 beats in like, I think, if I'm being honest, one minute now, just doing that. So, again, it doesn't make you block anyone better. It doesn't make you fight anyone better, but you recover fast. I think there's something to say about that. It gives you a little confidence to be recovered. So those are like, um, those are my big breath things. Uh, check, check, check the science out, man. It's fun stuff. There's a podcast. Patrick McCown has a podcast. James Nestor's got cool stuff on his Instagram. Brian McKenzie, it's a cool follow. He, he posts a lot of cool stuff. Um, sometimes, like, it's digestible. You know what I mean? It's not over your head. They're really cool about it. Uh, not 
really not too pretentious because you could get there in this world. So that's my breath protocol. Uh, another question I had is about my cold tub. So <clears throat> I'm going to give some options here. <laughs> now they have really cold, cool cold plunges, and if my wife agrees, I'm going to get one. I don't know why. Uh, to me, that's like a car. You know, I, I don't give a, I, I don't know, Dick. I don't care about cars, nothing like that. I don't care about nice stuff. But a, a, a sauna and a cold plunge, that's, that's like my Porsche. You know what I mean? I don't give a damn about much. So what I have currently, though, I have a deep freezer. It's a four-foot deep freezer. I wanted six. My wife has been very cool about me turning the garage into shabooms, a gym with, a, with the, the racks and the posterior stuff and the, and the wrestling mats. My backyard is a, is a playground for me. Uh, at saunas and, and the freezer and stuff like that. I got light therapy all over the house. I wanted a six-foot one so I could just dunk under. I got the four-foot. We agreed. So what I have, I'm a four-foot freezer, deep freezer. I sealed it with some caulking because around the edges, I slapped a little caulk on it. I fill it up with water, not all the way, just so it doesn't overflow when I get in neck deep. And I plug it in. I have a um, temperature timer that people use for uh, brewing beer. I think that's what it's for. I got it on Amazon. It's like 30 bucks. okay? I set it for 35 degrees. When the, when the uh, cold tub gets to 35, the water in the freezer gets to 35 degrees, it automatically shuts off because otherwise it'll just turn to one big ice cube. Can't get in there. Um, other options would be you just keep an eye on it. If you didn't want to spend that 30 bucks, you just unplug it. Uh, once it gets to the temperature you want, or you keep a time, just a regular timer. Maybe it only needs a few hours a day. So there's your options. I got like a $400 freezer. Let's say $10 caulking. So when I slap some caulk on it, and um, I got the uh, $30 thermometer. So let's say I got $450 into it. I get it. Another option, go on Craigslist. You can find deep freezers on Craigslist. Same thing. Maybe you get it for 100 bucks. Another option. You use your bathtub, right? If you got two bath, you got two bathrooms in your house or your apartment, you can go buy a decent amount of ice for five bucks. It's hot as dick out here. It's 169 degrees in Arizona. Our faucet water comes out at 90, so or 80, I think. So it needs a little more ice. If I was in Chicago, the water's coming out like 50. I don't need much ice, right? But if you fill your ice, you put ice in a bathtub, you can keep it cold for a few days. You know what I mean? Before you got to drain it. Another option, my friend Ted Larson, he has a horse trough, and he just fills it up with ice and water. Even out here in hot as hell Arizona, it stays cool for a few days. It might add up over time. You know what I mean? You know, the horse trough's pr probably pretty expensive um, relative, like overall. So maybe you get a kiddie pool and stuff like that. Or if you play high school football, you use your, you use your teams, right? Uh, those are the options with the Cold tubs, now they got cool ones though, man. They look cool, they're filtered, they got UV rays. What I do is I pull the plug on mine every week, drain it, and because it takes a few days, to, I think if, if I fill it up, it's 80 degrees, 24 hours later, it'll be like 60. Not quite cool enough, so what I do is I fill it up and put ice in it out here, you know, because our water's so uh, hot. So I put ice in it because I want to be able to use it immediately. Um, other than that, I would have to wait three days to plug it in if I don't add ice. So I drain it every couple days. But the new ones they got, they got filters, they got UV light. Uh, they get rid of all the bad stuff. They carbon filter. A little pricey, you know what I mean? But they look nice. But there's options, right? You want to keep it cheap. It doesn't need to be crazy, you know what I mean? If you got your, But if you're NFL, they... If you're in the NFL and you hit free agency, why not? It's probably a write-off, right? You need the ice tub for your body. But, uh, yeah, so there's that option. Um, that's about 50 minutes we're coming up on. I had some more questions, but that was the gist of it. Everything was rooted around the ice bath and breath work. So, look, I'm not trying to get too sciencey with stuff, so I'll give you the, informa the information to go learn, right, and teach you to fish instead of give you the fish, right? However that freaking saying goes, you got it. But um, 
you know, just so you can understand how I use it, I see that it, the breath work is really beneficial. To where I am in my life, what I'm trying to do, it's really beneficial. Um, I use it for even more stuff. Like if I'm getting a little stressed out, I'll go do some breath work. Uh, there's a ton of stuff you could do. If you try and it's stupid, like I said, it doesn't work for you, right? Not everything. Uh, but try that. Tr try doing your warm-ups and stuff like that with your mouth closed. Try taping. I use a Try taping your mouth when you sleep. See if you feel better. I used to wear the sleep apnea mask. Now I tape my mouth. I don't. You don't use duct tape. You don't got to go crazy. I use a little, like the size of a, a post-it stamp or a postage stamp a square of um, medical tape right there on my lips. If for whatever reason I get clogged up in the middle of the night, I can. I it just it'll. I can take it off. Sometimes I wake up, it's not on. Uh, one way to know that if I had my mouth shut, though, is that if I wake up and my mouth was still wet, if it's all dry, I know I was sleeping there. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, is what I talk about is like, that's another way to make you stressed out, right? When I talk about getting in the salt or the cold tub, <laughs> you hyperventilate. Well, imagine you sleep like that for eight hours. Hopefully, you sleep eight hours. Hopefully, you sleep 10 hours if you're a high school or college or NFL athlete. And imagine sleeping like that, your mouth open, and then you're, if you're 300-pound lineman, you probably have sleep apnea, then you're, you're, you're more hyperventilating in the middle of the night, you know what I mean? You're stressing yourself out more in the middle of the night. So the, the mouth tape has been a, man, huge game changer in my life because I wake up refreshed. That's the key. That's the performance answer. Fuck, fuck everything else. Get your food, get your hydration, and get your sleep. So give that a try. Uh, and if you got, if you're going against a clubber, and they club or they do that underhook, don't set them knee to crotch. Don't underset. Don't set them inside out. Cover them bitches up, right? So uh, overall, I'll get back on track with the podcast. My family will be healthy again. Um, but yeah, we'll see you next week. Like this podcast, share this podcast, subscribe. I appreciate all the support. Keep the questions coming. I'll keep answering them. I, once I get my life and family back in order. I'll get the guests going. We'll keep it rolling. I appreciate you guys. We'll catch you next time.